Hey there, welcome to Livewire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank. All right, this week on the show, we are heading underground, sort of. Well, for one thing, we're going to be talking to comedian Chris Gethard about how the underground punk scene, like punk music scene, actually influenced his comedy style. He's got a comedy special out called Half My Life, which we're going to talk about. Then we're going to keep things subterranean and talk earthworms with science writer Julia Rosen. Now, we're not just talking about any earthworms, though. We're talking about jumping earthworms, which are taking over parts of America and may endanger the maple syrup supply of this country. Then we are going to dig in with our pal Shaky Graves about how he tried to become an actor before he decided to focus on music. All right, buckle up, because we are going deep this week on Livewire, starting right after this. I'm Alex Schwartz. I'm Nomi Fry. I'm Vincent Cunningham, and this is Critics at Large, a New Yorker podcast for the culturally curious. Each week, we're going to talk about a big idea that's showing up across the cultural landscape, and we'll trace it through all the mediums we love. Books, movies, television, music, art. And I always want to talk about celebrity gossip, too. Of course. We hope you'll join us for new episodes each Thursday. Follow Critics at Large today, wherever you get podcasts. This episode of Livewire is brought to you by Progressive Insurance. What if comparing car insurance rates was as easy as putting on your favorite podcast? With Progressive, it is. Just visit the Progressive website to quote with all the coverages you want. You'll see Progressive's direct rate, and then their tool will provide options from other companies so you can compare. All you need to do is choose the rate and coverage you like. Quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Comparison rates not available in all states or situations. Prices vary based on how you buy. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. How's it going? It's going well. Spring is here officially. It has sprung. Um, which means it's just raining torrentially in Portland, but that's okay. <laughs> yeah, it's great. We love rain out here, especially yeah. this time of year. That's right. Are you ready to play some station location identification examination? You know I am. All right. This is a little quiz where I give you some information about a place in the country where Livewire is on the radio, and you try to figure out where I am talking about. Okay. After suffering significant damage in 1964's Good Friday earthquake, which was the strongest recorded earthquake in North American history, history, this town relocated to a new town site four miles away, transporting 54 houses and buildings to the new location. Oh, I feel like I know this because of a Livewire guest. Yes, you're, you're in the right state when you're thinking about the John Mualem book, This is Chance. Okay, but it's not Anchorage, Alaska. No, but you're in the right part of the world. According to the Weather Channel, it's also the snowiest city in the United States with an average of almost 300 inches per year. Although I know that probably doesn't really narrow it down if we're talking about Alaska. Yeah. Also, what's another city in Alaska other than Anchorage? (laughs) Oh, well, there's this one where we're on the radio on KCHU. It's Valdez, Alaska. That's right. The snowiest city. That's right. Now we know. Valdez, Alaska. Hi to everyone listening to us on KCHU up there. All right. Should we get on with the show? Let's do it. All right. Take it away. From PRX, 
It's Livewire. This week, comedian Chris Gethard. I started to realize I think I'm maybe the one who's most willing to be honest out of any of my peers. And science reporter Julia Rosen. That's really the hurdle is like overturning this long-held love of earthworms. With music from Shaky Graves. I was living in L.A. trying desperately to be an actor, which meant just walking into room after room and being like, hello, my name is Alejandro Rose Garcia, and I'm reading for Brad, the boyfriend. I'm your announcer, Elena Passarello, and now the host of Livewire, Luke Burbank. Hey, thank you so much, Elena Passarello. Thanks, everyone, for tuning in from all over the country, including Valdez, Alaska, snowiest city in America. We have a great show in store for you this week. Of course, we asked Livewire listeners a question. We asked, what's something you're into that you wish maybe hadn't gotten so popular? Because we're talking about underground stuff this week on the show. And you know that feeling when you kind of think you were sort of the first person or Mm -hmm. on the earlier side of getting into something, and then Mm -hmm. suddenly it's everywhere and can kind of be a complicated feeling. Anyway, we're going to read those responses coming up in a few minutes. First, though, it's time for the best news we heard all week. This is our little reminder at the top of the show that there, in fact, are good news stories happening out there in the world. Elena, what's the best news you saw this week? Statistics good news. What, what? (laughs) So this study was published out of UC Santa Cruz. They published it in the Journal of Economics and Managed Strategy. Go fighting banana slugs. The fight, go, yeah, nothing like a banana slug to talk about economics and managed strategy, right? Well, the study is about entrepreneurial changes between 2019 and 2021. So how many businesses were in full effect and who owned them? And according to that data... Black-owned and Black operational small businesses are up by 30% Wow! from their pre-pandemic numbers, so like 2019. I found another study, well, it was in the article from the House of Representatives Small Business Committee. It says that's actually come a long way because the pandemic hit Black-owned businesses really very hard. Right. They were down by like 40% in the early months of the pandemic. So they have bounced back, not just from that low point, but from pre-pandemic levels, and they're just, you know, crushing it. And a lot of people in this article that I read, this NPR article said that this is largely due to black women-owned businesses. And as an example, they talked about the efforts of, quote unquote, Black Girl Magic Street on Tompkins Avenue in Brooklyn, where there are a bunch of black women-owned businesses that really helped each other bounce back when the pandemic made it difficult for them to keep their doors open, provide the services. There was like an acupuncturist that was being interviewed. And the people on this street, the women on this street had like a rally for grant applications to keep their businesses going, to get the aid that they needed. They had tough conversations together with landlords. They learned about online conversions so they could sell virtually. They put together sidewalk sales. They pivoted to new products, things that people needed in the pandemic, like masks, and started manufacturing those. And all of those things not only helped uh, the community keep its businesses afloat, it provided a crazy amount of recognition so that now that the doors are open, those businesses are thriving. And it's that community work and that ingenuity that at least this this article that I read attributes to that 30% statistic that is so worth celebrating. Wow. That is really cool. That is some good news. Yeah. Right. <laughs> Hooray. I feel like so much of the 
economic news right now is mm, less good. So Correct. it's good. To, it's good to hear that there are at least some silver linings out there. I don't have economic news for you this week, Elena, but I do have elephant-related news, particularly baby elephant-related news. Oh, oh! Don't, please do not pass go. Do not collect two hundred dollars. Inject <laughs> Just lay it this on into you? my vein. Yes, I want it now. This takes us over to Kenya. Uh, to the Riteti Elephant Sanctuary, which is actually in northern Kenya. It's the first elephant orphanage in Africa to be owned and run by members of the local community. And for years, uh, these uh, sort of orphaned elephants that are brought to the sanctuary, one of the things that happens in this part of the world is that these baby elephants often fall into wells because they have to dig... Thanks to climate change, among other things, they have to dig these kind of deep, large wells to try to have access to water. And it's a hazard for these baby elephants. What will happen is they'll get nudged by a bigger elephant. They'll fall into the well. The herd will move on. And then the locals will come out to the well to get some water. And then the baby elephant will be down in the bottom of the well like, Where'd everybody go? Oh, no. So they rescue these baby elephants. And then they, they sort of take care of them. And they wait to see if the herd comes back. And sometimes the herd comes back, sometimes it doesn't. And so they have to live then for a while at this um, sanctuary. Well, what they've been doing to feed these baby elephants most of the time is using powdered formula like you might give to a human baby. Oh, wow. But because of the supply chain, they couldn't get powdered baby formula in uh, this part of uh, northern Kenya. So they came up with a plan, which was to start feeding the baby elephants goat's milk from the local folks who have (laughs) herds of goats. So they've created this really ingenious system where they go and they call them the uh, milk mamas, which are (laughs) these women who have been keeping these goat herds in this part of Kenya. These women, you know, they milk these goats, they collect up all this goat milk, they bring it over to the sanctuary. The sanctuary pasteurizes it and like adds some certain things to or whatever, and they feed the baby elephants with this. The sanctuary says they've seen survival rates actually go up for their youngest and most vulnerable elephants. These elephants are thriving on this goat's milk more so than they were on the powdered baby formula, and it's easier for the baby elephants to digest. Here's the other thing that's really cool, though, is that the local uh, people who live in the area are known as the Samburo community, and now they're actually making money on this goat's milk that they weren't making before, and it is allowing these women to, for the first time, these milk mamas, as they're called in the article, (laughs) it's allowing them to actually save money, because the first time a lot of them have been actually receiving money for something that they're doing. It means they can send their kids to school. The elephants are are thriving with the goat's milk. Everybody's getting nourished. <laughs> it's, I mean, it's like a, a total win-win for everybody involved. So yeah, that is the best news that I heard all week. All right, let's welcome our first guest on over here to Livewire. Um, he's not a stranger to, to going deep, as it were. For one thing, He shared his phone number, his real phone number on the internet, and just said, I'm going to talk to whoever calls this number. I'm going to talk to them for an hour without hanging up. He just did this as kind of an experiment and ended up turning into this hit podcast he's done, which is called Beautiful Anonymous. The New York Times included it in their list of seven podcasts to comfort and connect, calling it a remarkably intimate series of confessionals. 
He's also been performing stand-up comedy for a long time, about half of his life, which is where he got the name for his latest comedy special. It's called Chris Gethard, Half My Life. Let's take a listen to this. It's our conversation with Chris Gethard, recorded last June. Chris Gethard, welcome to Livewire. It's a joy to be here. Thank you for having me. <laughs> it's nice to see you again. Last time I saw you was in uh, Port Townsend, Washington, at a festival. One of the great things about this new special of yours, which, by the way, is a Chris Gethard, Half My Life, is kind of watching you do crowd work and watching some of the listeners physically assault you on stage, et cetera. <laughs> like, I've always admired your comfort in not knowing how things are going to go on stage, whether it's your TV show you did on public access or even like just your podcast, Beautiful Anonymous, where you're taking a phone call. Has that something that you've always just been like comfortable with, like not knowing how it's going to go? Or have you developed that muscle throughout your career? I think both, to be honest. I came up at the Upright Citizens Brigade in New York when it was really in its golden age. I mean, I would do their Sunday night show and sometimes the lineup would literally be Amy Poehler, Seth Meyers, Horatio mm. Sands, Jason Sudeikis, <laughs> and me. <laughs> and I'd sit there and go, well, I'm never going to be the funniest one. Like my my two best friends, I was on an improv team with Bobby Moynihan, who went on to SNL, and uh -huh. Zach Woods, who was on The Office, Silicon mm. Valley. So I just went, I'm never going to be the funniest one. I'm pretty funny. Mm. I'm confident in that. But I started to realize, I think I'm maybe the one who's most willing to be honest out of any of my peers. Mm. And I'm maybe the one who is willing to live in an uncomfortable moment more than a lot of my <laughs> peers. So it's kind of born out of necessity. And then I, I really came to love it. And like you said, my TV show and podcast, I, I really just like, you know, it sounds like a cheesy thing, but I really like embracing chaos. I don't try to foment it when I'm doing stand-up, but if it happens, I sort of love it. And that's why shooting it at 10 venues and self-funding this were kind of uh, in some ways not smart, but I knew <laughs> I knew it would allow me to sort of, you know, 10 different venues. I'm like, I know myself well enough. One of those shows is going to fall apart in an interesting way. <laughs> and self-funding it, I go, now nobody can give me notes. I feel like a lot of people who would give notes would say, let's not show the footage of the girl who got on stage in Baltimore and wrestled you to the ground. I mean, it was like literally the first thing I brought up though. So I guess good call leaving yeah. it in. I think so. I, th I, th I think a lot of things that I do tend to confuse people with sort of creative or corporate mandates. <laughs> so I, I, I feel like my stuff is not for everybody, but I know what works for the people who it is for. And it's things like that. And you were putting it together, I'm assuming, because all of the, the dates were booked in 2019, but then you're putting it together when you're in quarantine. So that must have been really interesting to kind of have this record of your career the, the year before. the few, I, I don't know how long the tour was, but... It ended fall of 2019. So it really was the last road gigs I did. Huh. It was so strange to just see as we realized that the pandemic and quarantining was going to go on much longer than any of us anticipated, three of these venues closed in the course of the quarantine. Wow. I'm watching all these shows and I don't know if live performances are going to feel like this ever again. Mm -hmm. Like you never want to say there's a silver lining to any of this. It's been horrible. But one of my hopes is that it's coming out right now as things are opening up again. And mm -hmm. I hope people watch this thing and it gets them excited to go out again and to support mm -hmm. 
artists again and specifically even more than an artist like me to support that venue in your town that isn't necessarily the live nation Ticketmaster supported one to go like these are places that are community driven and they bring a lot to their communities i hope people see it and go man it is it is fun it is exciting to be in an environment like that this is livewire from prx we're listening to a conversation we recorded with chris gethard about his comedy special half my life uh, we've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere. Much more with Chris right after this. Hey, Elena. Hey, Luke. I didn't see you there. It's that time of year again. My seasonal allergies are back. Oh, congratulations. But also, it's our spring member drive, which is happening right now through May 17th. Oh, I like that much more than seasonal allergies. Yeah, if you are not yet a member of Livewire's League of Extraordinary Listeners, well, now is the time to do it. Why? Well, because this League of Extraordinary Listeners uh, is what keeps the lights on over at Livewire Inc., uh, which is definitely not the association that we are part of. I'm probably a 501c3. They don't let me near any of the paperwork mm -hmm. or bookkeeping, and it's really better that way. Yes. Point is, we... We are only able to keep doing this show because of support from our members, and we would love it if you could join us in that right now. Plus, there are all kinds of sweet perks, including uh, special discounted tickets to live recordings, on-air shout-outs, exclusive content. Uh, and, Elena, uh, one more thing that, of course, we would not be a self-respecting public radio show if we didn't offer this. If we didn't offer the most iconic public radio swag of all time, a tote bag. True iconic status. Yeah, but it's not just any tote bag. This is like a really good tote bag. It's got a second zipper, an internal zipper. Yes, whatever you want to put in the tote bag, that's your business, okay? What we're mm -hmm. here to talk about is you keeping Livewire going. So head on over to livewireradio.org to see the various member levels. It does not matter how much you are giving every month to Livewire. It just matters that you do it because it goes a long way for us. So thank you. Vacations, weddings, birthdays, and reunions. Oh my, there's so much going on. Get the most out of your spring plans by stocking up on pre-alcohol now. Zbiotics pre-alcohol probiotic drink is the world's first genetically engineered probiotic. It was invented by PhD scientists to tackle rough mornings after drinking. Here's how it works. When you drink, alcohol gets converted into a toxic byproduct in the gut. It's this byproduct, not dehydration, that's to blame for your rough next day. Zbiotics produces an enzyme to break this byproduct down. Just remember to make Zbiotics your first drink of the night, drink responsibly, and you'll feel your best tomorrow. Go to zbiotics.com/livewire to get 15% off your first order when you use Livewire at checkout. Zbiotics is backed with 100% money back guarantee, so if you're unsatisfied for any reason, they'll refund your money, no questions asked. Remember to head to zbiotics.com/livewire and use the code livewire at checkout for 15% off. Thank you to Zbiotics for sponsoring this episode and our good times. Welcome back to Livewire from PRX. I'm Luke Burbank here with Elena Passarella. We're talking to Chris Gethard. His new comedy special is Chris Gethard, Half My Life, which follows him on a uh, comedy tour kind of right before the pandemic happened. There's a really poignant scene where you're like in your car and you're near Detroit <laughs> and... You're kind of like wondering, I think you said something to the effect of like, I have a beautiful wife and child at home and I don't really know why I feel compelled to do this. 
why are you compelled to do this, to go out and stand in front of people and perform comedy? Well, the answer might be a little Hallmark card, but I've been thinking about it a lot. And it's, it's something that I think you see in the special over and over again is, it is a little strange to be 40 and to have made work in the past that's hip. And then to go, and now my act is a lot of like raising a kid and buying a house in the suburbs. And why am I sitting in traffic anymore? And I've actually been thinking about when I come back to live shows, committing to this even harder is, I say at one point in the special, something I really think about a lot, which is there are all these people, they bought tickets to see me. That's a vote of confidence in me. That's very flattering. And those people, I hope all of them are having a great day, but it's probably not true. Mm -hmm. Somebody might be having a really bad day. And I think about being a comedian and what comedy should be for. It should not be about my ego. It should be about saying, who's that person who's having a bad day? And can I cheer them up for an hour tonight? Can I just make them forget whatever is bothering them for an hour? And that's one of the good sides of getting older, right? Is you kind of stop viewing life as, as you as the hero in the middle of some Joseph Campbell hero's journey. <laughs> and then having a child also too. It's like my priorities, none of them are about me anymore. And as a creative person, that's actually very freeing and has my gears turning. Mm. Well, speaking of which, there's a lot of uh, the actual comedy in this special that's about where you're at in your life, the amazing description of a birthing class you and your <laughs> wife went to with like a very memorable nurse from Long Island. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I kind of got the sense that like you were excited to get back to being Chris Gethard comedian and not Chris Gethard professional depressed person because like that's a whole part of your career that you've talked about and written about. But this was just joke jokes. Yeah. And it's, it's so astute. And you're actually the first person as I've been promoting this to kind of really sense that underlying aspect of this special. Um, I did a special about my past with depression and suicidal, um, ideation and, and even, even self-harm. And it was very meaningful to me. And a lot of people have told me it was meaningful to them and that is great, but I, I, I do get asked pretty frequently to keep speaking on it. I've actually been offered money to write a book about it. I've been offered money to do speaking engagements about it. And I have turned those down because A, I don't think it would be very kind to myself or an audience to just kind of commodify or exploit my pain any further. Like, I feel like I've said what I need to say. I feel like that special put it out there on the table. At this point, I'd just be making money off of the fact that other people are depressed and want to hear me talk about being depressed. It's not a moneymaker. And to be that guy forever also means that I will have to dwell in it forever. And I'm mm. doing a lot better in my life. So selfishly, it's a self-protective thing to go, Sometimes I go to weird alligator theme parks in Orlando. <laughs> and one time when I was growing up, a guy did something really crazy on the school bus. Like those are jokes I work on. Those two in particular, I've worked on those for seven or eight years, predating career suicide by far. And I don't need to keep making money off of my pain because at the end of the day, you're just exploiting the fact that other people have pain. I don't ever want to turn uh, people suffering from mental illness into a demographic that lines my pocket. It would mm. be gross. Well, speaking of your memorable trip to uh, a theme park in Orlando, you yeah, there's a very memorable part of the film where you're talking about this place, Gatorland. And I mean, it's it's fascinating because first of all, just like your description of this place is hilarious, but then there's this whole after 
story two about your relationship with the guy from the place. Can you just start with, without giving away too much from the special, I guess, talking a little bit about Gatorland and, and why it so captivated you? Well, I've always really loved sort of like old school roadside places, architecture. I've driven Route 66 myself, twice by myself. And oh. just those places that are kind of from a past that was a little more lawless and a little bit less corporate. Mm -hmm. And sometimes you like Florida alone, it also has Coral Castle. It also has the Wiki Watchy Mermaid Park. Like right. <laughs> just Florida has these places that you're like, how do they still survive? You're speaking Elena's language <laughs> yeah. right now. Yeah. Florida lives for this stuff. I, I love it. And I actually worked in a magazine called Weird New Jersey that was kind of like oh, focused yeah. on all this stuff in Jersey. And I just love that vibe. And Gatorland, I think, knocks that vibe out of the park. <laughs> also, I talk about how crazy Gatorland is. They also rescue animals that would otherwise be euthanized. Like they do good stuff too. But the joke is let's boil it down to the nuts parts. And and luckily they have a good sense of humor about the fact right. that there are many. They they don't hide that. <laughs> yeah. And that's what I really appreciate about your work in general, Chris, and, and also this special is I feel like you're very careful to, like none of it, it seems to be mean-spirited. Which can kind of read as like it's tame, and it's not even that. It's just that like I just since it doesn't seem like you feel the need to to belittle anyone in any of these like uh, you know various parts of your of your you know your stand up special, which I thought was kind of cool. Even Gatorland, like there's a real affection there. Mm -hmm. Yeah, I don't see the point of being mean. Comedy is supposed to make people happy, and to be fair, like Don Rickles, brilliant, mm. absolutely brilliant. And there's comedians in that vein now where I go. Go have your career. And if there's an audience that loves you for it, it's just not me. And even when I get heckled, I really actually handle hecklers quite well, but very often it's because I will get self-deprecating in the face of it where it's clear, like, you can't say anything mean enough to me that is meaner than what I can say about myself. <laughs> Self-heckling. Yeah. And, and, and the cheesy thing too is I, I've had a poster on my wall for many years now that's this Woody Guthrie quote, and I'm going to, I'm going to butcher it. It's something along the lines of, like, I don't have any interest in making songs that beat you down, that make you feel bad about yourself. Like your your jukebox, it's overloaded with songs like that. I, I want songs that pick you up. And that's a very boiled down, bullet point, less eloquent thing of what Woody Guthrie said. But when I first heard that quote, I said, yeah, like, it's got to be about the audience. It's got to be about the audience experience. And who wants to leave a comedy show feeling angrier? <laughs> than when they came in. And again, actually some political comedians who can like put fire in people's guts, I applaud them, absolutely. But I'm not gonna spend 20 minutes of my show getting someone mad enough that I can then be a hero for right. defeating them. It's just, I, I have other ways to spend my time, frankly. Right, getting wrestled on stage, which is yeah. where we sort of started this conversation. Making pancakes. I, oh, the pancake, <laughs> people love a good pancake show. When they can get one. And that girl, I, I bet she felt great when she bested me on stage physically. I bet she yeah. was, was flying high. So yeah, <laughs> each individual. I want to give everybody who ever buys a ticket to see me a pancake, or I want them to win a physical fight at my expense. <laughs> <laughs> That's a Chris Gethard promise, y'all. Um, mm -hmm. Chris, thanks for taking the time to come on the show. It was fun to catch up with you. Oh, it actually has been a joy both times, and I thank you for the time. That was Chris Gethard right here on Livewire. Uh, you can check out his special, Chris Gethard, Half My Life, on pretty much any streaming platform. 
that's on the internet. Uh, he also just released a digital book about becoming a parent and dealing with mental health issues. It's called Dad on Pills. Hey, special thanks this episode to Jonathan Jedekin of Milwaukee, Oregon. Did you know that Jonathan is part of the Livewire member community and has been generously supporting this show with a donation each month? I bet Jonathan knows, because Jonathan's the one doing it, but maybe you didn't. But here's the thing. It's so important that we have folks like Jonathan out there, because those donations, that's what allows us to do the show. So... A big thanks to Jonathan. If you're enjoying this week's episode of Livewire, you've got Jonathan to thanks. Thanks again, Jonathan, for keeping Livewire going. You're listening to Livewire. Of course, each week we ask our listeners a question because we're kind of talking about underground things this week. We ask the listeners, what's something you're into that you wish hadn't gotten so popular? Folks send in their responses. Elena has been collecting those up. What are you seeing, Elena? Oh, we got some good ones here. How about this one from Miranda? Miranda wishes that sloths hadn't gotten so popular. (laughs) (laughs) Miranda says, they've been my favorite animal since the early 90s. I even volunteered at a sloth sanctuary in Costa Rica. I was known as the weird sloth lady. But then YouTube happened, and now there's sloth gummy bears, sloth calendars, a sloth Disney character, all caps, overexposed. (laughs) (laughs) Sloths really are having a moment. I feel like for a lot of people, particularly during the pandemic, when it was really hard to get up the, I don't know, energy to do some of the sort of simple tasks of life, I think a lot of us started to feel very sloth-like. And so we started to really identify with the animal, the sloth. I was talking to a woman who, she's a biologist who works here at the university. And so there's the three-toed sloth and the Mm two-toed sloth. And one of them actually moves pretty quickly and can mess you up. (gasps) Really? I do not want that on my gravestone. Here lies Luke Burbank, killed by sloth. Mm -hmm. Because you know that that distinction won't be, there won't be room for that on the tombstone. People will just assume that I just, you know, was very lazy. That's right. Killed by the deadly sin of sloth. Yeah, exactly. What's uh, something else that one of our listeners is into that's gotten very, very popular? How about this one from Sheila? Sheila says, I used to get so many things secondhand for way less money from Goodwill. Once the recession hit in 2008, secondhand shopping became more common and prices Mm. went up. And now everybody shops resale and the prices are much higher. Mm -hmm. I have gone to Goodwill sometimes and seen things that are more expensive than I would assume they would be new at Target. And I'm always like... Did the queen own this? Like, why Why is this sweatshirt $30? I, I think I can trace exactly when this started happening, when the word thrifting entered the vernacular. I thrifted it. Let's go thrifting. Boo. I grew up wearing a lot of stuff from fill-the-bag sales, garage sales, rummage sales. That was where a lot of my clothing came from, and I was deeply embarrassed about it. And it's been amazing to watch the transformation. Of course, it's much better for the environment for us to get more use out of things. So I think... Overall, it's a good trend. But I swear, like once I started hearing people talking about I thrifted this, Mm -hmm. I feel like that's when everything started to change. Yeah, yeah. It's like uh, it makes Halloween a lot less fun. (laughs) All right, one more before we move on. One more thing that one of our listeners was into kind of early on that's gotten real big. 
Here's one from Kim. Kim says, I wish downhill skiing weren't so popular. What? It's gotten very expensive. And now we have to leave very early in the morning in order to secure a parking spot. (laughs) It's true. I wouldn't want to do some kind of like big nature activity if there was going to be traffic. It just seems so counterintuitive to what the activity is. That's what eventually put me off of snowboarding. In my 20s, I kind of got into it for a while. I got the equipment, would go, you know, maybe once or twice a month. And then at some point, I just realized I'm setting an alarm on Saturday morning (laughs) at 5 a.m. to do something that's allegedly for fun. (laughs) All right. Thank you uh, to everyone who wrote in with their responses to the listener question this week. We have a question for next week's show, which we will reveal at the end of this episode. So stick around for that. This is Livewire from PRX. All right, Elena, are you ready to go down a uh, wormhole? Oh, yes. Uh, anytime. You Hello. always are. It's one of your favorite <laughs> your favorite activities. Okay, it starts like this. Back in February of 2020, right before things got weird, I saw this article in The Atlantic that I became really obsessed with about these worms called jumping worms that were taking over sections of uh, America. I was totally fascinated by this. Um, and it turned out that the person who wrote the article, Julia Rosen, actually lived in Portland. And because this was, you know, the before times, we were able to just call her up and say, come on over to the Alberta Rose Theater and tell us more about this. And so she did. Take a listen to this. It's our conversation we had with Julia Rosen. Julia, welcome to the show. Thanks so much for having me. Now, you put out this amazing article, and it just absolutely blew my mind. An article you wrote about earthworms, and particularly about a strain of worms that seems to be showing up in parts of the U.S. where they should not be. What is going on with these crazy, and that's the title, that's their actual name, right? Yeah, they have a few. So crazy worms, um, jumping worms, snake worms. The reason is that they sort of like act like rattlesnakes, like they snap their bodies. They're not just like the cute little inchworm that goes along. So what's going on with them is that all of northern North America had no native earthworms, which was shocking to me. I'm from Michigan and, you know, you just like see earthworms all the time. Um, and none of them were supposed to be there. So Because there was an ice yeah. sheet? Yeah, because um, up until about 10,000 years ago, there was a massive ice sheet covering all of North America. And so worms can't live under ice. And so it eradicated any native species that would have been there. And so all the ones that are there now, we brought there, more or less. And the idea was that the ecosystem developed with no worms. Right. And now that these crazy jumping worms are there, it's bad. It's bad. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Um, and and I should say before the crazy worms came, there were European worms, which are also invasive and also bad. It's just that the crazy jumping worms are worse, probably. So the reason that they're bad is that these forests evolved without any worms. And so they, you know, the leaves would fall and the moss and the lichen, and it would develop this really thick layer of duff. And all the native plants and all the animals, like, evolved to have this really thick layer of duff to live in. And then the worms come in. And as you probably know from your compost bin, worms are really good at eating organic matter. And so within, I've been told, two to three years of showing up, you'd go from having, like, six inches or a huge layer of duff to just nothing. So they just eat it all. And so it totally changes the whole ecology of the forest. How did you find out about this situation? 
So I'm a science journalist and I get inundated with press releases for new studies and the vast majority of them I just don't have time to look into, but I was going through my emails and I just saw one about like invasive earthworms are changing. I was just like, stop there, invasive earthworms. I didn't know that was a thing at all. I mean, you don't think of them as getting very far. Yeah, doesn't it say in your article that an average earthworm only moves like 30 feet a year? Yes. <laughs> Or something like that? Yeah, there was, there's some professional debate about how far an earthworm uh. could get. We should have some races, but um, the, <laughs> yeah, in general, like an earthworm infestation, they're just not, they don't move very far. Um, they're just kind of in the soil doing their thing. And so, but when a crazy worm is in the soil doing its crazy thing, yeah. then that, that small area can actually be completely decimated yeah. by, by right. this particular type of yeah. earthworm. Yeah. So one of the things that's really disturbing to people about the crazy jumping worms is that they, they just live in the very upper layer of soil. Whereas like the European earthworms, which would be like the night crawler that you might've fished with or something, they kind of go up and down through the soil and they mix it. But the, the jumping worms just live in this very top layer and they just churn it and churn it and churn it. And it literally looks like coffee grounds. Like you you pick it up and it's just this loose, or some people call it like ground beef, but that's the texture of it. So there's like nothing for plants to even root in. It's just this really loose, highly disturbed soil. And so that's what they do in that little area where they're, where they're located. Uh, we're talking to science journalist Julia Rosen about this article uh, in The Atlantic that she wrote about invasive earthworms. I think part of why I was so shocked by this was because like most people, you just think worms are good for everything, the plants, the, like worms have this weird, like they occupy this weird place in our minds because they are not charismatic animals if you really no. think about it. No. Like they, they start off with a lot of PR deficits yeah. right. and yet we love them and that's to some degree because of Charles Darwin. Right, exactly. Yeah, this was one of this was kind of how I got hooked on this story. Like when I was, I was just like, I have to write this story because yeah, we all think earthworms are good. They're like you learn about it as a little kid in school, like earthworms in the soil. That's a good thing. And it turns out that we only think that because Darwin um, got obsessed with earthworms and spent forty years writing, um, doing studies on earthworms and writing a book, which was believe it or not, a bestseller in 1881. His book on <laughs> earthworms was like more popular than um, his evolution stuff. Um, <laughs> and, and it didn't maybe stand the test of time, but I mean, no, it did. I mean, it's still all true. Um, but yeah, we sort of... One he of would my, like play bassoon for them? Yeah. Well, he wanted to know, like, can they hear? Um, and it turns out they can't really hear, but they're very sensitive to vibrations. So they don't care about the bassoon, but if you put them on a piano and you hit a note, they'll, they'll be like, ah, what's happening? To walk in on Charles Darwin when he was in the middle of this experiment. <laughs> yeah. yeah. One side of the room is a bassoon and some kind of bored worms. And then he's got like one on his piano, like Michelle Pfeiffer and the fabulous Baker boys. And he's just playing. <laughs> what a, what a scene. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> so like. I mean, was the science that Darwin, I'll let that just sink into everyone for a moment. That's a real way homer. Um, but I guess my question, uh, Julia, is like, uh, was Darwin right about the science of these worms? I mean, was he the one saying worms are good for the soil and they make things grow and we should have more worms around? Yeah, well, so they're native there, right? So, like, they, they evolved in those ecosystems, and they do play a really important role in breaking down organic matter and helping plants grow. And, you know, people have been living, coexisting with um, earthworms and, you know, having agriculture for a long, long time. So it's a totally different setting. And, and he is right. He, he said they were one of the most important organisms in the history of the world. And that it's true. I mean, they have this massive impact on the soil. They're called ecosystem engineers. He also got really obsessed with how they bury 
you know, ancient buildings, like the archaeological record is partly preserved because worms are always bringing their castings, their poop up to the surface and burying things. Like he had this stone that he kept in his garden for 30 years to measure how fast, you know, it got buried by worms. So, I mean, he was right that they are super influential. And in Europe, where they're native, they're not that much of a problem. But over here, it's a completely different story. Is it because colonists brought the earthworms over and just thought this soil is the same as the other soil, so earthworms must be good for it? Yeah. I mean, honestly, I think most of it was inadvertent. So they would bring it in like shit ballast or like in, you know, plants and stuff. And nobody was going around like seeding earthworms. I mean, maybe they were in their garden, but um, it really wasn't until a few decades ago that people started to find these earthworms in the wild. And one hypothesis is that um, fishermen, when they're done, you know, they have fished a little bit and then they've got an extra extra worms and they just like toss them next to a lake in the woods in Minnesota or something. That's one of the ways that they get into the, into these undisturbed forests. And so, yeah, basically we've been moving them around for hundreds of years, not paying much attention to the consequences. Yeah. What are the consequences potentially? Like how serious of a thing is this? Well, um, there's debate and obviously scientists, you know, careful and don't want to stir up alarm, but, um, the, it, it's very clear that when they come into these ecosystems, they really change the diversity of the plants for the reasons that we discussed. It really changes the soil. And also, like, if you're a salamander and you were living in that litter layer and it's gone now, you have no shelter. Uh, birds suffer. One of the interesting things about the jumping worms is they, they, for some reason, accumulate heavy metals really quickly. So, like, a jumping worm can have higher mercury concentrations than tuna. And so, some of the birds, it's, like, more than a bird or a mouse or something can tolerate. Wow. So, so like, poisoning those yeah, animals like, in a Potentially. These are some of the things that people are just studying, especially with these jumping worms. This is all pretty new. But one of the really big fears is that they interfere with the regeneration of trees. And so there's some research happening now in like Vermont in these maple forests where they're finding no tree seedlings whatsoever in invaded portions. And And this is where the syrup is is going to come from because now this just got personal for me. (laughs) Exactly. That's when people perk up. Yeah. (laughs) They're like, yeah, yeah, earthworms, wait. (laughs) So like, I mean, what, what can be done about this other than just punching every worm you see <laughs> to be safe. Yeah, that's that's good step, um, number one. Uh, honestly, there's not too much you can do once they get established. They're really hard to eradicate. Um, the best thing that people can do is to pay attention and stop spreading them. Because as we discussed, worms don't get too far on their own. We are really the ones moving them in mulch. Um, you know, from nurseries could be spreading them. They kind of, people just aren't paying attention. So um, the best thing people can do is pay attention to where you get your compost. Make sure it's treated. If it's heated to a certain temperature, that will kill all of the worms in the cocoons. Um, some people, if you know it's in your area, advise not getting like the leaf compost that you could get from the city where they've picked up leaves from all over town and then they all get mixed together and you just kind of don't know. Um, if you do like a plant swap, you know, make sure that you don't have worms and you're not giving them to your neighbors. It comes back to this question of getting people to think that earthworms aren't always good. Um, that's really the hurdle is like overturning this long held love of earthworms. Uh, well, it's a fascinating article. Uh, you can check it. I'm sure at the Atlantic's website, uh, Julia Rosen, thank you so much for coming on Livewire. Thank you. That was Julia Rosen right here on Livewire, recorded back in February of 2020. Turns out, not to brag, but I was not the only person fascinated by this worm story, Elena. Mm. Uh, It ended up being anthologized in the Best American Science and Nature Writing of 
2021. That's you can amazing. find that article and all the other stuff that Julia is up to right now over at julia-rosen.com. This is Livewire from PRX. We've got to take a quick break, but don't go anywhere because when we come back, we are going to talk to and hear some music from Shaky Graves. Stay with us. Livewire is thrilled to be partnering with Portland's own Portal Tea this season. Formerly known as Tea Chai Tay, Portal Tea is the premier tea company in the Pacific Northwest. They make one-of-a-kind handcrafted tea blends like cinnamon churro chai and blueberry cream earl grey. Use the code LIVEWIRE, all lowercase, for 20% off at portaltea.co. Welcome back to LiveWire. I'm your host, Luke Burbank, here with Elena Passarello. All right, our musical guest this week actually first emerged into the spotlight by way of acting roles on shows like Friday Night Lights and Spy Kids <laughs> before he started playing music full-time, which is now his main job. He joined us last year to celebrate the 10th anniversary of his breakout debut album, Roll the Bones. Take a listen to this. Alejandro Rose Garcia, also known as Shaky Graves, to the Livewire house party. Woo-hoo! Oh, it's good to good to be home. <laughs> yeah, man. The last time we saw you was uh, during we were doing a cookout in my backyard in the summer, <laughs> mm-hmm. and and you were kind enough to join us and play a song. Um, have you kind of adapted your style a little bit during the the pandemic in terms of like are you getting kind of used to this way of performing? This is kind of the, this is going back to an older model because I, I still feel like I spent a lot of time just not having shows and recording in my house. I, I spent a lot of time just tinkering and then that turned into other stuff. So it's, I've gotten to go back to basics and, um, but yeah, I've been doing some live streams, which is a, a, a strange, uh, strange experience, but it does also feel like early shows where you play to four disinterested people uh, <laughs> except they all have cameras pointed at you this time uh, right but they're being paid to be there so it's, it's a little weirder but you know it's nice well speaking of your earlier days I know that you're releasing a roll the bones 10 yeah which is a, a re-release of your album roll the bones that was this like uh, a kind of phenomenon what were <laughs> your expectations a decade ago when when you were putting that album out? The first time. Oh, man. I, I, I don't even know. I, I'm kind of catching up um, because for this record, I got to go back and look at like old journal entries. Mm. And it, it's nice. It's like a lot of my more realistic um, and kind of far-fetched dreams have come true in the 10-year interim. And I think most of it was that I just kind of wanted people to actually hear my music. And if I was like, man, if one person really enjoyed this, like I'd be made in the shade. So I've, I, I, I did it. I'm retired now. It's great. We did. I, I've, I reached that one person. And, um, and you know, it's like the, those dark nights of the soul where you start to get down on your head and you're like, what do I, do? what do I even do in life? You know, like <laughs> this has been sort of a, a, a great moment to count my blessings and be like, wow, I've gotten to, I've gotten to travel. Cause at the point when I wrote this record, I was kind of trapped. I was living in LA trying desperately to be an actor, which meant just walking into room after room uh, and shaving my face daily, which I hate doing, and <laughs> and being like, hello, my name is Alejandro Rose Garcia, and I'm reading for Brad, the boyfriend. And, All right. 
And they'd be like, no. And I'd be like, thank you. And then I would leave and I'd go into the next room and be like, please, I'm hungry. <laughs> like, that. I'm reading for Chad, the boyfriend. They're like, no. You didn't. <laughs> I was like, okay, thank you. I didn't know this about your career trajectory that you had this other life where you're trying to be a working actor, where you're trying to be Chad the boyfriend. Work that that's the exact way to say it. Working to be a working actor <laughs> is exactly right. Yeah, I mean I grew up doing theater and performance and my, my mom is a playwright and my dad's a set and light designer for theater or was Whoa. at that point. And so I I grew up around all that and and just have always loved the performing art, you know? So I just kinda went for it. I just so, like Oh my god, hold on. I'm it's your agent. They want you back in LA. <laughs> you finally booked it. What's that? Aven- Avengers nine? Oh wow! Yeah, I would love to play Iron Man. Okay. Um. <laughs> I have a friend in LA who books like who's an actor, and they book like one, you know, sort of commercial a year that kind of funds the rest of their existence. And yeah. they said they're a professional auditioner. That's their yeah. job is auditioning, yeah. and then uh, you know about once a year they actually go play the guy in the prescription drug ad who's hot air ballooning despite his uh, infection it, or, yeah, it, you know, it, or whatever's going it on. Felt, it felt a lot like having like a gambling addiction, you know, where every day you're like, today's the day. Yeah, that's right. Daddy's feeling hot. You know, like, I mean, I can't tell you how many times where I was just like, I just crushed that. Mm. I, I did so good. And they were just like, no, you didn't. I'm like, oh. Or like, yeah, we actually already booked this person. We were just seeing the rest of it. Or yeah. like, we were just... We we were just thinking maybe he wouldn't be blonde, but after seeing you, we decided yeah he's he's definitely blonde. So <laughs> you know, th- and you're just like, thanks. Uh, acting's loss is uh, music's gain. Amen. Well, Alejandro, I see you've got your guitar there and your fancy oh. microphone set up. Uh, so as to play us a song, what were you going to play for us? I mean, I figured it'd be fitting to play "Roll the Bones," right? It's oh, like nice. The title, the title track. Okay, right on. This is Shaky Graves on the Live Wire House Party. Oh, 
boys in country clothes Yeah, let's take a chance So enroll the bones Yeah, go crash your car Burn down your home And try to fuck it all Them enemies and dead So they'll just chase you around And give you sour dreams Yeah, try to forget all Them enemies and deaths They'll just chase you around And give you sour dreams Or so it seems Shaky Graves, right here on Livewire. He is back out on the road, as are so many of our musical friends these days. <laughs> A lot of making up to do for our live touring musician pals. Uh, you can check out when he'll be coming to a city near you at shakygraves.com. All right, before we get out of here, a little preview of next week's show. We are going to be talking to Jelani Memory. Uh, he is a dad who wrote a book for his children about racism to start that conversation with them. That book turned into a media company that's now published over 50 kids' books and have sold hundreds of thousands of copies. Uh, we're also going to talk to podcaster and comedian Jamie Loftus about ActCast, which is her hit podcast about the Kathy cartoon. Uh, we're also going to hear music from Tolliver. We discovered Tolliver after we saw him on The Late Late Show with James Corden. And um, he is definitely a star in the making, so you're going to want to hear that as well. Also, of course, next week we will have a listener question. We would like to get your answers to it. What is that listener question, Elena? In honor of the Kathy podcast, what comic strip character do you identify mm. with and why? I know you're thinking Mary Worth. I'm just <laughs> <laughs> Hagar the Horrible. Oh, I love that, yeah. So if you have a thought on the comic strip character that you identify with and why, go ahead and hit us up on social media, Twitter, Facebook, wherever. It's Livewire Radio on all those spots. All right, that's going to do it for this episode of Livewire. A huge thanks to our guests, Chris Gethard, Julia Rosen, and Shaky Graves. Livewire is brought to you in part by Alaska Airlines. 
Laura Haddon is our executive producer. Heather D. Michelle is our executive director. Tim Harkins is our production director. Our producer and editor is Melanie Sepchenko. Our assistant editor is Trey Hester. And Stephanie Moore is our social media manager. A. Walker Spring composes our music. Molly Pettit is our technical director and mixer. And our house sound is by D. Neil Blake. Additional funding provided by the Regional Arts and Culture Council and the James F. and Marion L. Miller Foundation. Livewire was created by Robin Tenenbaum and Kate Sokoloff. This week, we'd like to thank member Jonathan Jedekin of Milwaukee, Oregon. For more information about our show or how you can listen to our podcast or hear our new Best News podcast, head on over to livewireradio.org. I'm Luke Burbank for Elena Passarello and the whole Livewire crew. Thank you for listening, and we will see you next week. Dear Livewire, when we first met, I was really shy. I had no idea we'd spend so much time together or that you'd be one to fill my heart with with joy and make me want to be a better person. Oh, I'm sorry, I didn't know you were here. I was busy reading a review from one of our many, many rapturously smitten listeners. Oh, wait, actually, no, sorry. This is from Elena. Anyway, the point is, uh, it would be really helpful if you wanted to leave us a review Feel free to say really nice things about us, and uh, we'll even read them now and then on the show. So you might hear your review of Livewire read on the program itself. Uh, Reviews help other people hear about the show, and then we can keep doing this for a long, long time, because we love having this job. Uh, Thank you so much if you've left a review, and if you're about to leave a review, you can go ahead and do it right where you get the podcast.